0: Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, and we are so happy that you're joining us today. And we have a lot to get through today. This uh, has the potential to be a pretty long episode. So, you know, grab a snack, get a quick stretch in, and hopefully you'll stick around with us. I will try to make sure I add some timestamps down in the show notes if you're on YouTube. Uh, I can't really help you on the podcast, but that way you can navigate. If you don't really feel like he- uh, hearing the news, You can just skip to our biblical topic uh, halfway through or whatever, Um, that may help you out. But we hope you stick around. So as always, let's make sure we get this kicked off right with a quote as we're talking about the digital church today. And author Gene Getz, uh, he wrote encouraging one another, and he says, though true Christianity uniquely involves a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it is also a corporate experience. Christians cannot grow spiritually as they ought to in isolation from one another. So Mm -hmm. true, Jean. So true. But you know, it just doesn't got the punch that we look for (laughs) on religionless Christianity. So let's try another one. And this one comes from Kevin DeYoung. I can't remember the name of his book that he wrote, but you'll see it on the screen. And if you're on the podcast, it'll be down in the show notes. But he says, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. Ooh, that's the kind of <laughs> quote I like to start this show with. So before we get rolling, is there anything you would like to say?
1: I'm just thankful for the people who are helping me um, do this STEM class. So I've got some good helpers in there with me, and they have good ideas, because I was feeling a little overwhelmed. Um, not every area of STEM is like my expertise. So I just thank you for your prayers because I have some good ladies in there. We all kind of have different ideas and I think it's just going to go really well. So I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Thank you. If you're praying for that, keep praying for that. We would appreciate it. And if by chance you guys hear some doors banging or kids screaming in the background, (laughs) We're recording a little bit earlier in the day than we would normally record. So our kids are, you know, fully engrossed in their school mindset, which usually involves <laughs> yelling, calling each other mean names and crying about it. So we've talked to them. Let's see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, if you hear that, that's what it is. Um, so I have a couple prayer requests. I got a friend named Brandon who is going through some work transition. Uh, So I'm sure he could use your prayers. He's a godly man, um, Mm a good family man with a beautiful uh, wife and children. So he could use your prayers very much um, just for peace through the transition and that he'll land where God wants him. Mm -hmm. Um, My brother, I know I've asked you guys to pray for my brother and his business a lot of times. And it sounds like if you've been praying, those prayers are being answered because business is seeming to start coming hot and heavy for him which is awesome because I work with him and that means uh, life will be good for us as well, but it's a lot to take on and we Mm -hmm. don't want to drop the ball anywhere, (laughs) least of all with this podcast and with God, right? So just pray for us that we balance that well. Um, And then the last prayer request um, is I guess for, for you guys in the audience, but I'll put us on blast a little bit. So, you know, we haven't gotten a lot of reviews on this show, but we have gotten some and uh, you know, if you haven't reviewed this show yet before, please take a second to go and review it. Preferably a nice review. We don't have a lot of those, but we would like some. Um, But the ones that we've gotten are critical um, for the most part, and that's fine. I don't mind the critical, um, you know, podcast review, but what I don't like is that it's critical um, without any help, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've been open since day one on this podcast, you know, we don't claim to have all the answers, right? We're just Christians. We've been Christians most of our lives, and we want to help people live a Christ-like life without being a doctor or a theologian, because I don't think you need that to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great if you have that, you know, education, but most of us don't, right? So what do we do in lieu of that? That's kind of the idea here. Um, and we've been pretty open about asking people to jump on social media, on Discord, if you disagree, if you agree. Whatever it happens to be, and let us know, right? The whole iron yeah. sharpening iron um, mm-hmm. is what we want. And uh, we do have a couple of really great, um, great uh, gentlemen on YouTube, specifically Eric and Gerard. Uh, they're always, you know, they listen to pretty much every episode and they're generally upfront with a like, hey, you guys were spot on here. You were off base here. Um, and again, we can't guarantee that we're going to agree with every critique that you have, but we certainly want to hear them.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so, it bothers me that someone would leave, you know, a pretty harsh critique. And I'm assuming that if you're critiquing what we're doing, right, you would assume that you know more about politics, spirituality, whatever it happens to be. So the idea that you would hear a brother or sister in Christ that you assume is off base and not offer correction. And I get that. Like you can't correct everybody, right? You can't reach out to Ben Shapiro or Joe Rogan (laughs) when you think they're off base. They're not going to get it. But for us, We will, (laughs) you know, we read all the comments, we respond to them as best we can. So, you know, I think just the idea that like, um, you know, if you see somebody that's a brother or sister in Christ and you think that they're off base spiritually, like that's eternity hanging in the balance potentially. So please don't let us wander from the narrow path. If you think we are, reach out to us. Um, you know, we're not so high minded. We just think we're right in every area. And, uh. You're always wrong, or whatever. We want to know, you know, if we're because mm-hmm. I—I'll admit I can be a little um, crude sometimes in the way that I talk. Uh, I can be a little harsh and not speak in the right tone. So I'm guilty of that for sure. But we want to hear that from you guys. Um, so that's our prayer, I guess, for you as an audience. Please keep telling us where we're right, where we're wrong. Um, I would imagine you'll have more where we're wrongs than where we're right.
1: That's how the body of Christ is. We're always going to be. Well, looking and that's out for something that
0: I've learned pretty uh, quickly here in the realm of, you know, putting your faith out there in the public square. Everybody's wrong all the time. It doesn't (laughs) matter. I mean, you can literally quote word for word Bible verses and people are like, well, but did you keep in mind this verse that goes along with you? Like, oh, for God's sakes, fine. (laughs) You know, I just had somebody tell me that Dr. White that we had on this show was a Jesuit spy. And I'm like, good heavens, man. Like, (laughs) so I'm open to critique. The name of the game, but please just consider helping us as we try to help you. Um, Again, that's my prayer. I don't mind the critiques. I would just want—I want your help. Basically, is what I'm praying for. Help us, right? We don't have all the answers, so uh, yeah. And then also go review this show because reviews help the algorithm, right? (laughs) Yeah. So with all that being said, um, we're getting ready to take our uh, apparently very shallow as our apple podcast critiquer would say uh, walk through the valley of the shadow of death with uh, our look at the news media this week so That's
1: a fitting name
0: it's a fitting name and this week uh some good and some bad this week um last week seemed to be mostly good which was nice but can't always stay on the mountaintops right you got to get down in those valleys eventually Ugh. so we'll start with some good news and The good news this week is we had a couple of marches on Washington, and the first march had to do, the first one we'll talk about had to do with um, the vaccine mandates, and uh, yeah, if you want to just read that headline, honey.
1: Yeah, it says, Thousands March in D.C. Against COVID-19 Vaccine Mandates.
0: Yep, and then um, just want to read that in the next one.
1: Thousands of people chanted no more mandate while marching in D.C. Sunday afternoon in protest of COVID-19 vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. And the protest organizers said mandates are un-American and called for an end to mass firings, segregating and calling Americans unpatriotic over vaccine status on the event's website.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um...
1: Segregating. Yeah, that's true. That's what's going on.
0: (laughs) Definitely seems that way. Um, And, you know, the thing is, like, I'm really glad to see people out in the streets marching about this, but it is a bit discouraging. um, Because the first thing that they mentioned was that they were expecting 20,000 people to show up for the protest. And it doesn't look like they hit that number. Uh, They did have several thousands out there, uh, but they didn't hit the full 20 that they were looking for. But I think the bigger disappointment is just the American mindset that basically lets these mandates take place. Um, because you know, for some people, the vaccines, you know, are a good idea, you know, and all that, but I just can't imagine the mindset that would be like, I think the vaccines are a good idea. And I think the government should go and close businesses and force people out of work if they refuse a medical treatment, you know, like, that I, you know, that I agree with. They don't like to me that just seems crazy that you would hold that opinion of your fellow Americans. That like, yeah, you know what? I want their lives uprooted by the government. Like right. it's just
1: it's un-American. It's like, an un-American don't, mindset. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a shame that I don't
0: know. Because I get it. Vaccines are very important for some people, right? They're super into the vaccine. Um, and others aren't. But it just, it seems like there's no forward thinking about yeah. the potential of giving this sort of authority and power to the government, right? Yeah, we got
1: to create the victim mindset in it. That's what gets people all fired up. There's a threat. My life's in danger. You don't. But that's not true. Nobody's right. life is in danger if you don't, if other people don't get a vaccine.
0: No, I mean, and that was the, you know, the original promise of the vaccine, right? Which is, you know, the <laughs> the promise has kept shifting and always getting um, I guess less of a stellar promise from the, the makers of the vaccine, but, um, but yeah, like, cause it's the vaccine today, right? You're super into the vaccine. So you don't care what the government does because this is your issue, you know, but what if it's an issue that you're not into, you know, what if it's this, you know, crazy Christian conservative, right. That takes over in the white house. Uh, and you know, he's like, Hey, you know what? abortions and adoptions affect our society you know so if you've ever had an abortion or you've put a kid up for adoption you can't have a job anymore you've affected society either right. by taking children away from the society that can help us or you've put more into the system than you're willing to take care of you're out of work mm-hmm. like we should all get together and be like whoa like we don't agree with a yeah. abortion right but you can't ruin people's lives <clears throat> you know, as a government, because once the government does it, there's no way out, right? Mm -hmm. It's one thing for a private business to say you either get a vaccine or we're firing you. But it's another thing when the government says every business must, because then there's nowhere to run, right? You're just stuck. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing, right? And that's that whole, I think it's Martin Niemöller wrote the poem, right? Uh, Back in the 1930s or 40s, where he talks about, you know, first they came for the socialists, And I wasn't a socialist, so I didn't care basically. Mm -hmm. And then they came for, you know, the union worker and I wasn't a union worker. And then he eventually ends with, finally, they came for the Jew or whatever. And there was no one left to fight for Mm -hmm. me, you know, because Mm -hmm. they take it. So I think it's that mindset of like, yeah, you may not care about the vaccine, but can you not foresee a world where the government comes for something you do care for? Right. And you need to stop their authoritarian overreach now So that it doesn't threaten you later. And I think that's the mindset that disappoints me.
1: Isn't on your side. No, like a new issue could come up and all of a sudden, yeah, you're not liking what they're doing now and they're not on your side anymore. Yeah, like just
0: think about two years ago how petrified people on the left side of the political spectrum were about Donald Trump and martial law and he's not gonna give up the election. And they were petrified of it. And now here we are two years later, and they're like, Yeah. Kick them out of their work. Let the government, like, are you crazy? You were just terrified before. And, you know, I think, and we've said this before, we've got to get to the mindset that it's not Democrat versus Republican. It's not liberal versus conservative. That's made up. That's completely media driven and political narratives. The real fight is we, the people versus the political elites. Mm -hmm. It's always been that way. As long as there's been rulers, and the ruled, like it's always been that. They way. They don't want
1: us standing together. They, for them to do what they want to do, they have to divide us, because they know when we stand together, we can overthrow it.
0: Yeah, so that's it, what
1: they're afraid of.
0: It would just be nice to see more people get in, and fight for this. Whether you've been, you know, vaxxed and boosted, or you haven't, you know, you haven't had a vaccine in thirty years, whatever it happens to be like, because. That's what America means. That's like needs. the new
1: badge of being American now. You got vaxxed, American.
0: <laughs> right. And, you know, and there were some people in that protest that were, um, that had been vaxxed and boosted and stuff, and they were still against mandates. Because that's, again, that's the America we're fighting for. You want to do something that you think is right? Cool. Go do it. I want to do something that I think mm-hmm. is right, and we're going to get together and both fight against the government from overstepping mm-hmm. their bounds sort of thing. And
2: yeah. What's Me frustrating
0: can. is we've seen the government lose this fight over and over and over again, right? The courts have been throwing all this stuff out, but it's so frustrating to see so few people have to make this stand when so many, el- or so many others could have gotten on board and helped the fight, but they didn't. You know, I think of John MacArthur and his church in California taking on their, you know, crazy government and pushing back, going to court and ultimately winning that court battle. But man, how much more encouraging and how much better could that fight have gone if every church in Southern California was like, closing our doors? Are you crazy? You can't tell us to do that. Like, Yeah,
1: these people standing against it. You think, you know, people think they're the enemy, but they're really fighting for you.
0: Yeah, we're all fighting for everybody's freedom yeah. to be free to do what they want, right? So it's just frustrating to see. So I would encourage you, man, you know, even if you've been on the other side of the aisle now. And you're just now kind of waking up to being like, ah, man, I don't, you know, like I know my, that they, the neighbor who got fired, like he's a good dude. He shouldn't have been fired.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not too late to jump into the fight. So, um, yeah, so that was the vaccine March or vaccine mandate March. And the second March this week was the right to life March. Um, this is the yearly March in Washington to end abortion. And, um, yeah, if you didn't realize that that was going on, you probably aren't the only one because it got very little coverage, but we will cover it here. So, um, if you want to read this headline, honey,
1: anti abortion activists brave cold, pandemic fears to rally for what they hope is the end of Roe versus Wade.
0: Yes, we all hope for that. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it says protesters on the National Mall huddle, huddled close to one another as temperatures hovered around 20 degrees, but the annual event in its 49th year, was upbeat, a reflection of what some attendees said was confidence that the Supreme Court this year may overturn the Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion nationwide and prompted the creation of the march.
0: Yep, absolutely. And mm. this has been a good year in the fight against abortion. Um, yeah. We've made a lot of ground on this. If you remember just this year, uh, or it was last year, 2021, but Texas passed their abortion law. I think it was like the heartbeat bill basically. Mm-hmm. And that battle was taken to the Supreme court, I believe. And they, um, they wanted the Supreme court. Then the city of Lubbock has become the nation's largest sanctuary city for the unborn in um, Planned Parenthood just recently dropped their lawsuit against Lubbock. That's good. So that's good. Um, Mississippi has their law or their There are 15-week abortion bans going to the Supreme Court pretty soon, I believe. Um, So that's good. And it's good news. And the reason why you wouldn't hear about this Right for Life march quite as much is because the simple fact is the left is losing this argument. The pro-choice side of the aisle is losing the argument. And I just pulled up some stats here. Uh, This is from American Magazine. But it says, you know, the poll found that 81% of Americans believe that you can write laws that protect both mother and her unborn child, right? That's 81% of Americans. (laughs) And then even in the Christian world, in the evangelical world, um, from 2016 to 2020, every number or every age group across the board is losing support for abortion, uh, except for the youngest. It's a slight uptick. Mm -hmm. But they're losing ground nationwide on this argument. So the best way to hide the fact that you're losing ground or to lessen the damage is just to not discuss it at all. Right. And that's what our media is famous for is kind of the sins by omission. Right. Yeah. Almost. So,
1: yeah, they just want us to feel like hopeless. I mean, that's Satan's goal. He just wants to take the glory of God, not, you know, don't let people know that God's actually doing anything, but God is, and he's answering your prayers. He hears you. And just because the media isn't letting you know about it, you know, it can make you feel like, oh, well, maybe all this evil is taking over and where's God, but we got a lot of good news. Things seem to be turning around to keep praying and um, God's kingdom is growing. You know, he's putting all his enemies under his feet.
0: Yeah. So that's why we wanted to bring these up, right? We like to try to end these news articles on why is it important to Christians. And it's important to Christians, first off, for encouragement, you're winning, you know, you're Mm -hmm. gaining ground here, but the fight isn't over. You know, you see that number, the 18 Mm -hmm. to 35 year olds, um, that slight uptick in their thoughts on abortion. So we still need to be praying, um, still need to be uh, educating our youth on the damages of abortion, not just the sinful nature of it, but the damage that it causes to the women and the families that have abortions. Um, Obviously, I think this, for better or worse, the coronavirus, this vaccine nonsense has kind of helped us gain some of that ground on the argument, right? Because the argument in the abortion side of the house, the pro-choice was always my body, my choice, right? Yeah. But then when it comes to the Mm -hmm. vaccine, they don't want to hear it. So we Mm -hmm. can kind of use their argument against them. Not to be, Mm -hmm. not that we should, right? It's not to be like, it's not to necessarily win an argument. It's to win Lives and they souls don't use into the, the same kingdom. logic,
1: yeah, so
0: yeah, it's good news, but don't stop praying, don't stop marching, don't stop sending your congressmen nasty emails and <laughs> all those sorts of things that's helping us gain ground, and uh that's good news in the world of uh I think Christian faith and just life in general, right? so um, mm-hmm. the second one the I guess the second story that we have here. And I got this from the New York Post. If you want to read the headline, honey.
1: FDA halts use of Regeneron, Eli Lilly COVID antibody drugs.
0: Yep. So they have ended their emergency use use authorization for a couple of the monoclonal antibody treatments that are kind of like the early, um, some of those early treatments um, if you get COVID. And i pulled this from the FDA. I don't have it to put up on the screen, but if you just want to read this first paragraph.
1: It says, given the latest data showing the Omicron variant of SARS-CoV-2 is responsible for 99% of current COVID-19 infections, we are pleased that the FDA is following the scientific evidence and limiting the use of monoclonal antibody treatments to those that are effective against the Omicron variant. Limiting the use of these treatments will help ensure patients receive the best available therapy. We encourage physicians to reference the current National Institutes of Health COVID-19 treatment guidelines for the latest information on authorized therapies and recommendations for their use.
0: So that, to me, that's a sensible um, statement from the FDA. It makes sense Mm -hmm. as to why they would pull the emergency use authorization. But if you go and read the second paragraph, immediately following this, if you want to read that, honey,
1: (laughs) we continue to strongly urge every eligible individual to make sure they are up to date on their COVID-19 vaccinations, including booster doses. The Omicron variant is highly contagious and the unvaccinated remain most at risk of severe illness, hospitalization and death if infected. Data further suggests that a booster dose provides greater protection against the Omicron variant.
0: Yeah, so you read the first paragraph, and you're like, yeah, that makes sense to me. That sounds logical. And then you read the second paragraph, and you're like, oh, for God's sakes. Because in that first paragraph, right, what do they say? They're like, hey, we've looked at the latest data. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, Omicron is sweeping the country. That's what everybody's getting now. These monoclonal antibodies don't work for Omicron. So we're getting rid of the, the emergency use authorization for these ones because they don't work. And you're like, yeah, that's what the FDA should be doing. That makes sense. Yeah. But then you read the next paragraph and they're like, make sure you go get your vaccine. And you're like, it doesn't work for Omicron either. <laughs> and, and I get some people are going to push back and be like, well, yes, it does. But the whole notion, because it doesn't stop infection, doesn't stop um, spreading of the virus. Just the And this is maybe just my concern. Spiritual
1: lessens your symptoms, it lessens the symptoms, which is the most
0: easily no proof fabricated thing because you're like, I didn't have any symptoms. They're like, Well, you would have, (laughs) and you're like, Okay, well, I had uh, I couldn't taste or smell, and they're like, Well, you would have had body aches, and you're like, Okay, well, I had body aches, well, you'd be in the hospital, okay, well, I'm in the hospital now, well, you'd be dead, yeah, okay, well, my mom died, well, she would have died yesterday, like you can always go (laughs) one step further and say, See, it's working, so
1: yeah. Uh, It just
0: irritates me. I wish that they would just, you know, and this hits us close to home because I've had a family member who's used monoclonal antibodies very successfully. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a treatment facility a mile down the road from our house. So this is something very near and dear to what we uh, experience here in our life. And I'm still okay with them getting rid of it if it doesn't show that it's working. But maybe it
1: does work. That's what I'm wondering.
0: Well, yes. Maybe it will work. Because they've been telling us forever that the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and all that doesn't work, even though person after person goes, yeah, I was on that, the z pack, all these sorts of things, and it worked perfectly. You need to
1: believe those personal testimonies over anybody else, really.
0: You just got to, I don't know. I mean, you got to (sighs) make the decision for yourself, ultimately, and I think that's ultimately what we're asking for. Let us make the decision. You know, we're all grown-ups. Yeah, But, um, yeah, you just, I guess for our, why should a Christian care about this from what me and Nikki would think is just pray that they open their eyes up to, you know, what's going on in the world and use the same sort of, um, judgment in all regards. I don't know, but I guess I'm not upset about it. I just think to keep in mind, because I've seen this all over Twitter and all over the news, people losing their minds because FDA pulled this emergency use authorization. And first off, don't get angry about it. Go do your own research on it. And to me, it makes sense why they would do it. You just want them to be equal across the board, um, which I think is important. And uh, a sad bit of news though, as we keep moving on here through the news, um, from the Christian front, and this was, if you wanna read this headline, honey,
1: He says, Brady Goodwin renounced his faith. Here is my response.
0: And then, uh, yeah, Yeah. so Brady Goodwin is a Christian rapper, I think from the group called The Cross Movement. Never heard of them.
1: How long have they been around?
0: I don't know, but they were Grammy nominated for whatever that's worth in 2022. But, yep. Um, But then he went on to say, if you want to read down here,
1: Yes. Um, he compared Christian theology to a Rubik's cube. I began to look at the faith and say, man, you could turn this Rubik's cube any particular way and end up with a different understanding. And who can, who can say that understanding is right or that understanding is wrong? Asked Goodwin. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And to me, you know, obviously it's sad to see anyone walk away, but I think what's sad about this is so often you hear this sort of questioning, but it goes the other way. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not uncommon to hear someone say, the Bible didn't make sense to me, or I was struggling to understand, and that caused them to dive deeper. Um, And through that deeper study and stuff, they wound up with a really solid foundation of faith. But here's Brady saying he went the other way. He started looking deeper into this. I think it says in the article that he went to seminary. And he just started getting more and more confused. And it caused him to walk away entirely. I wonder um, why he
1: got confused. It's like, what did he believe from the start? Did he even believe the gospel? Like you go into seminary, it's like, what's the confusion? If well, you I'd be curious what seminary he
0: went to. Westminster Theological Seminary. So I'm not terribly familiar with that seminary. I'm not terribly familiar with any seminaries. But um, yeah, I think, and this was our question for you guys reading this. I mean, we don't know. His Christian rap name was Fanatic. Um, We don't know him. We don't know his music. But my question for you guys, and we would like some of your help on, is, is this a Hebrew six moment? Um, We want some enlightenment on this just for our own edification here. But um, Hebrews six, verses four through seven, if you want to read that.
1: Yeah, this one is. Yeah, that's a good one to ask. It says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, to have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age uh, to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt.
0: Yeah, so our question for you guys is, is this situation with Brady a Hebrew six moment? And... You know, should we be praying for him or should we be praying for those around him? You know, we lean towards, we should always be praying for everybody because we don't know his heart. We don't know, you know, if this is truthful, if his faith originally was even truthful to fall away from. That's my question. Um, So we just want to hear from you guys because obviously this situation exists. That's why it's written in scripture. And we just want to be aware of it as best we can. Um,
1: Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, like, what gospel did he first believe in because we know the prosperity gospel is everywhere it's not called that when you hear it but a lot of people don't they don't know and maybe that's what he believed and so i think step one would be to preach the truth to him the true gospel and if he rejects that then yeah then you can say he walked away from the faith if he says, yeah, that's what I believed in.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we'd like to hear from you guys, but also just keep in prayer. Uh, obviously, you know, Brady, but his family, you know, he's still, a, I would imagine, uh, influential Christian rapper. People probably listen to him, look up to him. So pray that their faith would be shielded from this, Yeah, that there wouldn't be more fallout from something like this, because that's always the danger, right?
1: I think, that, um, I think that is a common thing that is just going to happen because everybody... Yeah follows people because they idolize them and they just want to be like them, but not be yeah like Jesus. Like that's why we have to look to Jesus and not yeah. to the person who maybe we're getting all of our teaching from, or even our worship music or whatever it is. Can't get our eyes just because they say they're following Jesus. Like we're supposed to test all things.
0: Definitely. Um, so, and again, that's why we want to know what you guys think on this. Cause You know, it'd be important to know if you have someone who maybe is a fanatic fan or this cross-movement music or whoever it happens to be that's questioning, like, it's important to know, like, hey, man, the Bible's clear that, like, you know, if you walk away after being saved, like, there is no coming back, right? Like, that's re-crucifying Christ.
1: That's not the you Bible just is getting into sin. That's no. you saying, I am turning away.
0: And that's why yeah. we wouldn't go this far normally, but he wrote a letter to his mm-hmm. church denouncing his faith. Like he took it to a very far
2: yeah.
0: uh, degree to denounce his faith. So that's why we're curious about mm. this Hebrew six moment. So love to hear from you guys on that, but this will wrap up our last news story of the week here before mm-hmm. we dive into our main topic. And that comes from the Christian post as well. Uh, if you just want to read through that.
1: It says Michigan youth pastor charged with sexually abusing four minors, two younger than 13. You. William Stefan Wall, who worked at the River Church in Kimball, was charged Friday with two counts of second-degree criminal sexual conduct of a person younger than 13 and two counts of fourth-degree criminal sexual conduct of a person ages 13 to 16, according to court records.
0: Yeah. So uh, this story also goes on to highlight a few other um, instances that happened recently of basically youth pastors getting caught up in sexual assault of minors. Um, And, you know, the reason I think to highlight this story, obviously we're all Christians, but man, this keeps happening. You know, it's not just a Catholic church problem, right? We all remember that Mm -hmm. growing up with the Catholic church and, but this still goes on in churches around the country um, and we can't hide from it. We've got to find a way to fix it. And I understand you're not going to fix it entirely. People are sinful. It's human nature. Yeah. Um, but I think we've got to be better at this. And, you know, again, I'd be curious to hear from you guys, especially if any of you have been pastors or, you know, kids of pastors, whatever happens to be elders of a church. Like, what kind of qualifications do you guys put on youth pastors? Um, you know, because it seems like a lot of the churches that we've gone to in our life, it's like, you know, the qualification is basically, are you cool? Um, Do you like what teens like? And mm-hmm. did you go to Bible college for a year? You know, basically, and you're 24 years old and now you're the youth you're pastor. You're just a
1: little bit more mature than these kids. Like, yeah, and- you're 25 years old, you can't be a youth pastor, I'm sorry like maybe you could work in the nursery but you're not working with teens. You no, you should not have the title like of
0: pastor and Mm-mm. you know like do, are we actually looking for a first Timothy man to be our youth pastor and I mean I don't we've talked about is youth pastor even a real position um or is it just made up but mm-hmm. like youth pastor if it is a position should not be some second rate calling in your church that like uh, we'll just put him there until he's actually mature enough to really preach the gospel or really lead some people for Christ. Like I know. We just looked at the abortion statistic. The youth is the ones that need to hear this message the most, right? They're the most influential. It almost seems to be like you should get your senior pastor, whenever he's ready to retire, should step away from the adult <laughs> ministry and go <laughs> preach to youth. It should be the other way around I because know. it's so important. And
1: Everybody just picks it a youth pastor based on like, you're cool. My kid will like you and you're a Christian and that's, that's it. And then whenever we've asked the kids, like, what did you learn? Like at other churches we've been to and they just talk about, Oh, pastor so-and-so just played video games with us the whole time. I'm like, okay. And,
0: and I know that those are extremes of churches and stuff like that, but yeah, like i am just, I don't know what we're doing with our youth ministry. Because it doesn't, you know, like the church we go to now, we don't really have a youth ministry. Um, I know Dr. White mentioned that when we talked to him. Uh, The youth sit in the same service as the adults. Mm -hmm. And I think that works really well. Um, This is something I'm passionate about, though, because I would like to be a youth pastor of a sense, uh, because I think it's such a valuable position to set that, you know, we're not going to change this nation by going and preaching the gospel to Nancy Pelosi. Um, she's a million years old and she's yeah. set in her ways. Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, they all are who they are. The way you change the nation and the communist, you know, the antichrist leaders, they understand this. They're going for our youth, but we don't seem to have the same motivation to go after the youth as the godless people do. And until we oh do my that, gosh, yeah. we're gonna keep slipping. And, you know, this is kind of stuff is just. We know as Christians that it's few and far between, but when these stories hit the headlines and the godless media gets them, Mm -hmm. they spread it everywhere and they make it seem like there's a child predator behind every pulpit.
1: Yeah, they're trying to just keep you away. But this whole idea with separating your children from yourself when you're in the house of worship, it's like, you should all stay together. Don't you want your kids to um, imitate you um, listening to teaching and worshiping and praying together. Like this is the chance for the body of Christ to be together, praying together and for them to see you doing it as the parent, they're they're imitators of you. They learn, they watch you, and then this is just the most it's just the best thing you can do with your kids is worship God and doing that corporately, and then but then you're separated from them. So they miss yeah. the opportunity to learn from their parents in that way, and it's not a separate thing, like that quote at the beginning. Like it's not like it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's a corporate. Is that how it was?
0: Yeah. So well, and even don't still, right? The kids like from it, we're supposed to model Christ, and there was never a time in Scripture where Jesus kicked the kids away from him. <laughs> um, so I would say, yeah. even if you're in a church where they don't want youth in the auditorium, which I've never been in one. We've had churches where, you know, they're separate the youth and the adults and stuff, but I've never seen a pastor. It's like, get that baby out of here. You know, like they're always open to it, but
1: they've come up and be like, Hey, don't you want to take your child? And I've seen women be like, no, I'm keeping my child with me. And they, they're really like persistent. And it, it isn't nice. I don't know. I think that's a weird
0: situation, but you know, I just think, Youth ministry is super important in whatever form it comes in, but also just on, I guess, the human level um, for whatever these kids are in this church. Uh, obviously, you know, kids that get sexually abused and stuff like that, they struggle throughout their lives in mm. so many areas. But if it happens to you in a church, I mean, there's a good uh, good chance that these kids walk away from God and never come back because of this. So it's terrible. be in prayer for oh, them. Man. Their souls are at stake. But also keep in mind, William wall. Um, he needs prayer as well. You know, don't forget about him, even though he's the one who committed the act. Um, you know, Paul was killing Christians and, um, God turned him around. So, Mm -hmm. you know, keep all these people in your prayer, but yeah, they definitely need your prayer. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. That was a lot of news, but I think it was important. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. now we're going to try to switch topics and kind of dive into our, um, I guess, biblical topic if you want to talk about it, but it's a new story that we touched on last week that we're going to try to re, uh, readdress today a little more fully. Um, and this story comes from Christianity Today. You want to read that headline?
1: The Potter's House Denver sells property, goes virtual. Yep. Hmm.
0: Denver, the prop- Potter's House Denver is closing their doors. So you want to just read these two paragraphs right here.
1: Last week, the Denver Post reported that the Potter's House Denver will sell its property in Arapaho (laughs) County and continue to worship exclusively online. The church, led by the daughter and son-in-law of T.D. Jakes, is one of the first and most prominent megachurches to move one of its locations online permanently without operating other in-person campuses in an area.
0: Yeah, so um, we don't really want to get into the whole idea of, you know, I'm sure there's mixed feelings on TD Jakes, and I'm sure that there's mixed feelings, obviously, on a female pastor of a church. We're not trying to get into all of that today. That's a separate topic. But it does go on to say in this article, um, COVID-19 forced every church in America to rethink how best to serve their parishioners and the broader community, Pastor Tori Roberts told The Post. Due to the inability to gather and the economic instability of the pandemic, our church, like many other churches in the nation, experienced declining donations. Um, hmm. And then it also goes on down there to say, as a result, the Potter's House uh, Denver decided to abandon its 32-acre property and 137,000-square-foot building. Um, and another pastor at the Denver campus said the church had averaged Ten thousand worshipers and live attendance and three hundred thousand weekly YouTube views. so wow. they're closing their doors there, and um, again, we definitely want to hear from you guys on this idea uh, because you may be in this position with your church or mm-hmm. in your own life, you know whatever your situation is. we've all had to deal with sort of digital church online church. so I guess our big question um, that we're gonna I guess mm. ask you guys for your comments on but is this going to be the catalyst for the digital church, um, kind of going forward? Yeah.
1: Who's going to follow after them? Like if, if they, you know, needed to consider it, you know, other mega churches are as well. Oh, and I'm churches, sure. mega have churches and small
0: churches alike, I'm sure are considering but it. But they so. didn't
1: even want to go online. Some churches just had just, to close, like well, smaller yeah. ones. I mean, but some of them may
0: not even have the ability to go online necessarily. Well, and, they already
1: had quite a following.
0: Um, yeah. So the article does go on to say that, uh, It says, even though another round of COVID-19 infections disrupted services, experts don't predict that many others will follow suit. Um, But I'm not so sure. You know, I I think this makes sense to me, uh, this ability to go online. But, you know, I certainly hope it won't be the case, you know, but time will tell. I'd be curious to know what you guys think. So first off, looking at this story, um, you know, I don't think that you can have a church that doesn't meet in person. Um, right. I think calling it a church any longer is inaccurate.
1: Yeah. Um, like, what's the definition of a church? Just sitting yeah. online, that's not the equivalent of going to church.
0: No, it's not, at least in our mind. And, you know, to be clear, we're not saying that the church is the building. Um, it's not, right? You can meet in the uh, Potter's House's 137,000 square foot palace. You can meet in, you know, your high school cafeteria, you can go to your garage.
2: Mm-hmm. It
0: doesn't matter where you meet. That's not the church. Um, the building isn't important. Uh, but I did go and look up in my Bible dictionary, uh, the word church. And it says that the word is derived probably from the Greek kyrkon, which stands for which means the Lord's house. It says, which was used by ancient authors for the place of worship. And then it goes on to say in the New Testament, it is the translation of the Greek word Ecclesia, Mm
2: -hmm. which
0: is synonymous with the Hebrew Kehal or Kahal of the Old Testament. Both words meaning simply an assembly. So Ecclesia, Kehal mean assembly. So if you follow that road a little bit further, our word for assembly, um, if you go to the dictionary, means a company of persons gathered for deliberation, uh, legislation, worship, or entertainment. Um, you know, so people can disagree with us. Our harsh Apple podcast critics can call (laughs) us uninformed dolts, whatever they want. But, you know, in our mind, we believe a church is a gathering of believers for worship. You're gathering with believers for worship. That's the church.
1: Yeah. I mean, at least all these kids, maybe they'll gather with their parents and not be separated. You know, you can't have a, a youth area. I don't know. Maybe that's the only plus. Come on, children. You don't have to go to your own area. We're going to watch online together at least.
0: And we've tried the whole watch online with the kids, when our church shut down. It's not easy. Um, I don't think that qualifies as church. And I don't even think it's all that beneficial. They know it's really. phony.
1: Like, they're not interested. They're like, this isn't church. like, I'm, like, I'm going to
0: go get a snack. You're like, you've had two snacks already. Sit down. It's a 30 minute service. So,
1: yeah, I don't um, want to teach our kids that that's church. I don't want to raise them that way. I don't want it to get to that.
0: No, I don't either. And so, we don't think it's a church um, unless you're gathering together for worship. And, you know, we get our idea of a church generally in America, you know, for most churches. I'm sure there's a few outliers that do things really weird. Um, but most of us get ours from the book of Acts, chapter two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in Acts 2, verse 42, You want to read that?
1: They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer.
0: Yeah, so this is essentially the way all churches run. This is where we get our idea of a church. And, you know, looking at a digital church environment, I think you can maybe get two of those, but probably Mm -hmm. more realistically, you can get one and a half of those. Um, You know, you can get the teaching aspect in a sense, Mm -hmm. uh, but you can't get fellowship, you can't get breaking bread and you can get prayer, um, sort of. You know, we've all seen the prayer requests on Facebook or Twitter, whatever it happens to be. And you're just, you scroll past them or you know, maybe we're the only ones guilty of it on planet earth, but you scroll past, or even the ones that you think that you're like, I'm gonna pray for that person. But then you just keep scrolling and it's out of your mind, right? So um, yes, mm-hmm. in theory, you can still pray for people, But in a digital church, you have no way of laying hands on the sick. You know, Mm -hmm. Mark 16, um, 18 talks about laying your hands on the sick. So you can't do that. It talks about anointing with oil. You know, you can't do that. Even in the Bible, you know, they talk about filling people with the Holy Spirit by laying hands on them. Like there's so many instances of laying hands on people in prayer and you can't do that in a digital environment. So yeah, you can toss a prayer up, you know.
1: You don't have the compassion for people. Um, There's no face. Like, you don't get to hear their voice, their cries. Um, You don't get to look in their eyes and, and feel the compassion, that human connection experience that is necessary. That's how we do life. That's how God, that's how we operate. You don't operate distant that way. We're not. We're just a name on a screen. Nobody knows you. Nobody's going to even remember to check up on you online, really. You're going to scroll. You're going to pray. And it probably won't even be a heartfelt prayer. You weren't moved with compassion. Jesus was always moved with compassion. It removes the compassion. Because you don't see a human. You just see words in your mind. It can just be like, I'm reading a novel. You're just reading. Yeah. There's just, it's like, it's not real. It's another reality. Like, it becomes Fake and there's something about praying with people. Like I remember the first time your mom prayed for me, with me, held my hands, and I started crying like I never experienced prayer that way. Like I've had people pray over the phone, but no, nobody has ever prayed, laid hands on me, and prayed for me. And hearing my name be hearing my name be lifted before the throne of God. It's it's just something that. I don't know, maybe people need to experience that. It draws well, you closer to, to, to God hearing that. And that's
0: the way it's designed. And that's yeah. kind of our point of this. And yeah, like I've scrolled past a thousand prayer requests. I've prayed for some and scrolled past most, but you've never done that in a church setting. You know, I've never been face-to-face in a church where someone's asking for prayer and being like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Like, no, you go and pray mm-hmm. for them. You lay your hands on them. You empathize with them because you can see the emotion, the pain, whatever it happens to be, but yeah. you don't get any of that in an online you environment. You really so.
1: carry the burdens with them. Like yeah. if you're the hurting one, wouldn't you rather be with people and then putting their arm around you and just comforting you, physical comfort. And you can't have that through a screen. People are just saying, prayed, prayed. You know, it's empty. You know, it's phony. All those people that say, I prayed. It's just it's different in person.
0: No, it's definitely different. So, yeah, I mean, looking at the Acts two outline, we were just going to kind of go through this a little bit. Um, I think you can get the teaching, yes, but what about the fellowship? You know, I don't think you can get it. But looking at that, like we all know that relationships are harder to find, maintain, and grow in a digital world. Um, and I don't even know that you necessarily need a stat to show people on that. Like we all have our real life experience to know that digital online friendships and stuff even if they were previous friends those fade away they still became they're more acquaintances after a while mm-hmm. you may have a few friendships mm-hmm. and stuff that uh, stay strong but most of them aren't it's hard to build new relationships online i mean even dating apps and stuff like that right it, the whole idea is just to get you connected so you can go meet somebody in to person in right person. <laughs> so that you yeah. can build that bond together
1: um <clears throat> yeah it's a platform Yeah. The goal of meeting in person and then doing it so backward. It's like we meet in person so we can be more distant.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, also like Nikki had mentioned, there's no accountability in an online church. Mm -hmm. You know, if you miss four weeks of church, who's going to know, right. If you're not there. Uh, But if you're not, if you're physically going to church, right. And you don't show up for four weeks, people are going to know, you know, they're going to be looking around and You know, this obviously depends on the church you're going to, and that gets into the whole mega church versus local church talk. Mm -hmm. But you lose the ability to be held accountable. You know, I know in our church, it's a very small little church. And if you don't show up for a week, we know that you're not there. We notice it. We may not say anything after a week, but if for four weeks you didn't show up, we'd probably be like, are they dead? Like, we haven't heard them. They're not on Mm
2: -hmm. the chat.
0: They're not talking. We haven't seen them at church. We'd be reaching out to these people, whereas if you're just gone for four weeks, nobody knows, you're just one of 300,000 viewers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're no longer a person, you're just a viewer, right? Yeah. Because um, online, you're just a viewer a download. At a church, you're a name or a face. You know, online, you're a stat. But in church, you're a person and that makes a huge difference mm-hmm. in accountability. So I think that's something you lose in a digital yeah. church.
1: I was just thinking like, Putting all that time and effort into something that's so empty, you could use that and do something else, like a real in-person ministry. You may not have that big building to hold all the people, but start small again. Don't keep all those numbers and have them online. Do something different. If you are a pastor, you need to be shepherding people and just start over. Say, we got this big building. We can't maintain it. We're just going to have to downsize and help all the people who were coming get into other churches. Like it is what it is, but don't back away from, you're not a pastor anymore. What you're doing is you're abandoning your flock. And online is not a way to look after people. So at least maybe go back and and buy a different property and say, I'm going to just start small and we're going to do church different. We're going to have smaller buildings that are easier to maintain. And it's not a big deal if we have to shut one down, and because people can easily get placed in these other ones, and they're more local. I don't know. I'm sure. I don't know if they've they've heard that advice, probably. But that it makes more sense been, to me. Like, yeah, it's I mean, devastating that's kind of our big
0: point. That, that like, many
1: people.
0: Yeah, I mean, once you're going online <clears throat> only, you might be a ministry of a sort. But yeah, the idea of you being a church and a pastor, because they do make note in the article that they are still maintaining some of the other ministry things they do. Like they have a, like a city food bank that they uh, operate that feeds a lot of people. They're still maintaining some of that. So they're not shutting down all of their operations, but they're no longer doing the church thing together. Um, so that's where they're shutting down. And this isn't a knock on the congregation in a sense. We may get into that here a little bit later, but this is from the old, like the leadership of the church having this idea that, hey, we can go digital only and still be a church. And we're saying, no, you can't. Um, And looking at that whole accountability fellowship piece, um, I got this article from the Christian Post as well. Um, It says nearly half of churchgoers say they haven't watched any online service in the past four weeks. And if you wanna read this paragraph.
1: How do you say that, Dean?
0: It's like New Wolf or something like that. New, New Hoff. I don't know.
1: New Hoff. Okay. In the post, New Hoff noted that 48% of churchgoers reported that they had not watched any church online in the last four weeks. Less than half of the remaining 52% who did watch church online said they watched the service of their own church with a surprising 23% reporting that they streamed a different church online.
0: Yeah. So here, the, I mean, the article is telling you you know, you think you're gonna go online digital, right? And you've got these 300,000 viewers, whatever, but your church, your 10,000 church goers, the stat tells you like 48% of them for four weeks, like half your church is like for a month straight, they're not going. Again, you would notice that in real life if half your church stopped showing up for four weeks. But then it even goes on to say at 23% of those that even did watch services, They weren't watching yours anyways. A quarter of your church is watching somebody else. So you got half the church that doesn't show up anymore. Uh, The other half that's left, like a quarter of them are watching somebody else. So you are no longer in charge of a church. And we already have a name for people that have digital content. They're called content creators. (laughs) That's what YouTube is full of is content creators. You're not a pastor. You're just a content creator if you're putting out Christian content. So I think mm-hmm. that's really damaging and something to keep in mind if you have this thought process of going digital full-time. Just
1: the fellowship aspect, Ron, like even families today don't even have a meal together anymore. Like it's not even a church issue. It's just like the whole family unit is just, they just lost the whole concept of fellowship and the importance of it. Like it's, yeah, it's super healthy important. for all people. It's not just for Christians. And now everybody's afraid to have fellowship. and. Like you go to preach the gospel and like, oh, you have restored fellowship with God through Jesus. And they're like, what's that? What is fellowship?
0: Is God going to text me? (laughs) But, you know, so the idea, you know, like we talked about teaching. Yes, potentially. But if you look at the stats, it might not be your teaching (laughs) that they're getting. Um, Fellowship, no. I don't think you can really make a claim to having fellowship in a digital church. And that goes much the same with the idea of breaking bread. Right, because that's the third aspect of the Acts two church, um, is breaking mm-hmm. bread with each other. And you know, I pulled up this article here from Barna, and they questioned what churchgoers missed most about in person services. And the two things they uh, missed the most: number one was taking communion, and number two was socializing before and after services. So having that fellowship, mm-hmm. breaking bread, if you will, and. You know, in a sense, you can still do communion on your own, right? I mean, I guess you can have a glass of wine and some bread in your house and do communion. Uh, I know my mom, for one, she does communion in church and at home by Mm -hmm. herself. You know, she does it all the time. So that's a possibility. But even looking as to Jesus as our example, you know, when he gave us the example and the idea of communion, you know, he broke bread in the upper room. Mm -hmm. He was eating with his apostles in community
1: communion Um, means together. It's not just eating bread. Yeah. It means the communion of believers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I get that there's going to be arguments against probably all these points, you know, we made on the whole thing, but, you know, to me, just the idea of going digital, um, whether you're from a church standpoint or a personal standpoint Mm -hmm. saying, I'm just going to church online. Like to me, it's just the idea of trying to make God fit into your life. Rather than making God a focal point of Mm -hmm. your life, you know, sort of like this Sunday is a sacred time, Mm -hmm. you know, you're setting time apart for God rather than just being like, I'm really busy, but you know, I'll listen to a sermon at the gym.
1: But what about all of the elderly who are, they can't do the online thing? No. And a lot of them are really lonely. A lot of them are widows. And how are you caring for these widows online? Like yeah. that's the sign of a a believer. One of them caring for orphans and widows. So now these kids also don't have their youth center to go to. So they're without their pastor that they're used to having. And get the kids would never want to do online church. Is that youth pastor going to be calling to talk to your to your kids and checking up on them?
0: Yeah, there's no, no way your youth pastor can compare so with who's dude, perfect and now? Mark Rober oh. online yeah <laughs> but no that's a good point because in a digital church environment you're essentially crossing out kids basically anybody 70 or older the kids or the and the elderly yeah i mean you're gonna get the 20 to 30 20 yeah. to 50 year olds maybe that'll listen to you but yeah you're 100 writing off the seniors you are
1: seeking a certain age group of people for your church you're saying forget the kids forget the elderly because the elderly they don't even like being on their phones. They're not going to figure it out on the computer. They're alone now. And the only time they usually get to socialize is going to church. And I was just thinking all those old ladies, maybe, not that there's a lot of them, I don't know, but maybe they enjoyed being in the nursery and taking care of kids. Maybe that was the highlight of, the, of their life, of their last days.
2: Yeah.
1: And you got to think about them. Like, that's sad. Like, visiting the widows and taking care of the orphans is, that's... um. What Jesus said, true religion is, yeah. And no, it's, see, it's definitely
0: you write off a large, large portion of your aw, church there, and that
1: is heartbreaking, though.
0: You know, we had the idea too, like, what if you were on the street, right? And You bumped into somebody and you shared the gospel with this sinner, and he, like, oh, he accepts it. Like, what are you gonna tell them? He's like, oh man, praise God, brother, go back home, jump on YouTube and watch this service. You're a part of our church now, like. Is that where you would send them? Or would you tell them to go find a local church that they can get connected with a community of believers to help them on their journey? Like, cause the thing is a new believer needs to grow in the faith and everything the same as you do. If Mm -hmm. you've been walking with God for decades, like it doesn't change what we need as believers isn't different for a new believer as opposed to a seasoned believer. You know, we don't have different books of the Bible. We aren't right. given a different doctrine depending on where we are in our faith. It's all the same. And there's no way that you would be like, hey, brother, I know that you're struggling with a, a lust addiction or a gluttony addiction, you mm-hmm. know, whatever happens to be like, oh, you struggle with lust, jump online and go watch my service. They're like, if I get online, I'm looking at porn. That's why I struggle with it, right? Like, Yeah. Right, you know, and that's a, an outlier example, but you get the point that you wouldn't send a new believer to your digital church. But
1: listen, all the people who are in church, they're already distracted by their phones, doing other things, while the pastor is doing a sermon. Like you think they're going to be able to handle that?
0: They're well, and that goes allowed to the point on of... their
1: screen, and they're not going to be clicking elsewhere while they're listening. Nobody is going to be giving a hundred percent to whatever the teaching is.
0: No, and that's. Um... That's kind of the point we, we missed on the teaching aspect of it. In theory, you can teach, right? Like that's a possibility. Um, But I thought I had an article down here. Maybe I don't. Um, But, you know, when you are, you know, watching stuff online, we're so easily distracted Mm -hmm. nowadays. You know, the idea that you're going to sit down um, and just watch a sermon, study it with your notes out and not be distracted. It's just not the way we are anymore um, Mm -hmm. in society. So even the idea of your teaching being as valuable as it once was, because when you're in a church, I mean, yeah, there's the instances of people scrolling on their phone, but I don't think that's as prevalent. Whereas if you're sitting online, you know, for me, I'm sitting at home, we've got two or three monitors on your computer, plus your phone, whatever happens to be, you got like the service up here, playing a video game Mm -hmm. while I'm scrolling on Facebook, like you're not getting the same level of teaching. Whereas if you're in the church, your Bible's in your hand, you're hearing, you know, it's a completely different level of teaching. So yes, Mm -hmm. teaching is possible, but I think it's far less, um, I guess, important or as potent, I would say, I guess, for you online as it is um, when you're sitting in the pews. Your attention's
1: just divided. And when someone's in front of you, you don't want to be rude you know, if they're making eye contact with you, you're not going to go. And I mean, people do actually do that. You, People in restaurants are all the time not looking at each other. One person's on their phone. Like it's our culture. It's like normal to be rude when someone's talking, to not be looking them in the eye. Like I remember hearing that story about a little, I don't know if it was just made up or real, but a little kid trying to talk to his mom while the mom's busy doing housework and I'm listening, I'm listening. And then the, the Kid grabs the mom's face and goes, no, listen to me with your eyes. (laughs) Yeah. And we just lost that.
0: No, it definitely makes it a lot harder um, to keep people's attention and everything like that. So I think that's one of them. So, yeah, looking at the Acts 2 church again, teaching, possible. Fellowship and breaking bread are not possible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then prayer, is sort of possible. And the last thing I want to make note of on prayer, because I saw this article and it really made sense to me. Um, they said that Facebook, um, and I found this article from, again, Mer- America Magazine, and I found the same article on ABC, if that means means more to you. Um, but Facebook has a prayer function. For th- maybe if you're a church, whatever, I've never seen it, but they said that they have a prayer function where you can basically put in there a prayer request. And it says like, Hey, you know, Spencer's requesting prayer. And then you can put, you know, pray for me for this. And, you know, some people were praising it or whatever. Um, But I saw this article on America magazine, if you want to read this, honey, and it just, it made a lot of sense to me.
1: Oh, just that section there It says, um, at the same time, we are not talking about the Vatican or the Dalai Lama giving you a cool way to show your solidarity with someone else here, we are talking about Facebook, a company that makes its living off convincing people to reveal as much of their lives as possible on its platform. Offering a prayer function is not an attempt to help people, but another way of using them. The company has acknowledged that people's prayer posts will affect what ads they see. Undoubtedly, the whole point of having a specific prayer feature is to make it easier for Facebook to Collate and sell people's prayer related data. That's
0: yeah. So, sounds like Facebook, <laughs> this kind of brings me to our last as we kind of end looking at the Acts 2 church here. But we know that these social media companies, um, they censor dissenting opinions. We know this. Um, and Facebook, for example, like the article says, they're constantly mm-hmm. seeking to get more and more of your information, um, personal mm-hmm. information because that's how it perfects its algorithm on you. And they make their money by having their algorithm right on you so that the ads that you see are all tailored to you. Um, But then we also know that they're not a godly platform and they're generally run by ungodly people. So when I saw this, my little conspiratorial mind, I was like, it doesn't seem completely impossible to me that if you're sending out prayer requests from your deepest and like darkest prayer request type things, it doesn't seem impossible to me that Facebook or these media outlets could subtly feed you your weakness. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like we talked about if you have a gluttony problem and you're like, hey, please pray for me. I'm trying to get back into shape, that they just subtly slide you an ad for some delicious Paula Deen food, right? Or you're struggling with lust addiction and they subtly, maybe not often enough for you to notice it really, but just often enough to keep you struggling. You know, not giving you that victory that you need. And I was like,
1: But the whole thing is, they want to know your desires. And sometimes we want to overcome those desires. Like, I'm having evil desires, wrong desires. So pray for me. And you may not use the word desire, but that's their goal. They want to know what your desires are. They don't care about your prayer being answered. Like, they could give you things that, like, oh, I'm trying to get in shape and not eat all this food. Maybe you'll get ads for workout equipment or healthy meals, or you'll get ads. That are more appealing to the sinful desire that you're trying well, to overcome. they will, I'm
0: sure. Because again, their goal is money, right? To yeah. monetize you. They so will if, give you either. If you tell them, like, hey, I'm trying to lose weight, you may get some fitness ads. But if you don't click on those fitness ads, eventually the algorithm is going to know you really ain't that into it. But if they give you a bunch of fitness
2: yeah. and
0: then they give you that Paula Dean cake and you click on the cake, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, that's what he really wants is yeah. that cake. So again, they, you know, it's something to look out for. And that's a reason to give me pause. I just
1: suggest don't put your, don't use the feature.
0: Well, yeah, I suggest don't. don't use social media, except <laughs> to come and talk to religionless Christianity because we want to hear from you. But the other side of this too, um, is with being a church just online with, you know, YouTube and stuff like this. Um, because we know, and especially in regards to YouTube and these different streaming services, um, we know, you know, that they have the ability to stymie your message if they want to, you know, we know what happens, um, with YouTube as far as censoring information, restricting videos and stuff. So like what happens if the leaders in our country become more authoritarian, Mm -hmm. if they become more restrictive, um, we've already seen, again, big tech's sort of willingness to restrict info based on a government decree, right? Like if you want to talk about the vaccine at all. They're, you can talk about it. No one's going to see it, right? Because they're going to make sure of that. Um, so right. they already have this ability. So what happens if they decide that they don't like what Tori Roberts and her husband are preaching about anymore? Mm-hmm. Well, it's very easy for them to just not let people see your message anymore. So you can preach all day long to nobody, or mm-hmm. they could just kick you off their platform entirely and now you have nowhere to go. Uh, because we've seen people, right. I mean, for God's sakes, they kick the Sitting president off their platform, you don't think they could kick your church off their platform if they wanted to. So that's a pretty risky. You know, you're putting a lot of your trust in these ungodly platforms to giving you this space to preach on. Whereas if you have, you know, a building, I mean, we still see people in communist China that meet in underground churches and house churches yeah. where they can't meet online, but they still have that ability to get together in person, sneak together, and still. Um, share their faith, whereas if it's hundred percent online, all they got to do is flip that switch and you don't have a voice anymore
1: mm-hmm. and that's pretty dangerous. I don't know. It's just like that's that just is so convicting though when you always compare how we do church versus how they do it, like we're like, oh, we're afraid of covid yeah, well, they can be thrown in prison, you know, or or worse, like it's just what are you willing to risk in order to obey the You know, commandments and gather together and care for one another. Like, we're not supposed to be lone Christians. And when you're doing church online, you're being a lone Christian. You're not helping the body of Christ at all. You're disobeying the commandments of God.
0: No, and that's something, again, because this is more directed at church leadership in a sense. And where you talked about earlier, like, could they downsize, get some smaller campuses? Um, Because, yeah, it's so important to keep fostering you know, that, um, that idea of meeting together and sharing life and stuff. But it also, you know, being a pastor isn't just sharing the word of God, right? Like just preaching on a street corner. There's a lot more that goes into being a pastor. Um, you talked about these old, older ladies who may serve in the nursery, but the church is basically the main area where a lot of Christians do service to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So by closing your doors, you're closing off a lot of opportunity for people to serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, you're also closing up off opportunities for people to grow in their faith and in their potential profession. Right. We talked about, you don't really need deacons and elders in an online church, right? So that's a church office you've closed the doors to. I mean, how do you groom, um, future pastors for them to go and take on ministry when you're just a content creator online? So you close off those doors, but then just people standing at the door greeting, Mm. um, you know, setting up the Easter event at church and giving their time and service to Mm -hmm. the Lord. And, you know, so many different opportunities that you just close off when you go digital that don't exist anymore. And, you know, yeah, you're taking, and that's part of a pastor's responsibility, right? You're leading a flock, you're shepherding a flock as they sort of live and serve and work for the Lord and stuff like that. So
1: like, how do you invite people to church? I know you touched on that, but you, you the goal is like, get your friends to church so they can hear the gospel. You're like,
0: I did, I shared it on Facebook. You bring
1: them. <laughs> I know, right? But you got them with you and they get to have that experience. Like all the, you know, the greeters, like they feel welcome. A lot of people go to a church because they're like, oh, they just accepted me for who I am. They were so nice to me. So they want to go back. Although that's not the way to get people saved. People can get saved that way. But what do you do? Hey, come to my church. Sure, nobody can see me and judge me. Are they really going to get online? Are they going to come to your house and watch online with you? No. Like, how do you invite people to church? Is that just not going to be a thing anymore? Because that was the main way people um, evangelize, is inviting people to church. And now you're going to have to actually get out and do it yourself. Oh, my gosh. (laughs)
0: No, it's going to make it harder for sure. Um, Well,
1: that's the way it should be. We should be out there evangelizing, you know, face to face.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot more that should be considered. And maybe they've considered it all and weighed the options, but, you know, there's a lot more that goes into being a pastor and leading a church besides just, you know, taking in tithes and preaching on a Sunday. So um, that's, you know, something to consider. But the last point that we want to consider, because we've already looked at the Acts 2 idea of this really not being a church. But the last point I think that we want to make, big point on this is, you know, we've been focused so much on the church leadership aspect, but this is something we have to consider ourselves. Um, We can't avoid church personally and just think that we can do online church. Um, Because I think that this is a fairly common feeling, and it's probably only made worse over the last two years, um, where people think, you know, I can just stay home. I'll just go to church online. I'll just watch some sermons. You know, maybe it's because of COVID, maybe it's because you're sick of the Christian hypocrite or hypocrite (laughs) and like, Mm -hmm. you know, the politicking that goes on in church and you're tired of all of it. Or maybe it's just, you're simply like your life got too busy, right? You've got, you know, kids and sports and you got more work than you can handle. All these sorts of things. And you think, man, you know what? I'll just stay home. We'll watch church as a family and then we'll do all these other things. But I think we have to try to avoid that. Um, kind of for all the reasons that we talked about already, but also because God made you part of a community. Um, mm-hmm. That's his model of the Christian church. I mean, he gives the example of a body part, right? You know, that we're all parts of this body mm-hmm. and they, they all function together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he gives you specific attributes and personalities that are unique to you. Only Nikki is Nikki. There may be people like Nikki, but this is... My Nikki, like, right? what's what's the marine? There's a lot of guns like mine, but this is my rifle. I don't know how it goes, but she's unique to herself in a lot of ways, right? So to remove yourself from that community, you're keeping these gifts that God gave you to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's you know, is it sinful? It might be depending on the reasons, I, think, I suppose, why you're pulling yourself away. I but, think it is. Yeah, you're limiting your ability to be used by God for the church.
1: Not. Cause you're choosing to be will you're willfully ignorant of the needs in the body of Christ. Like, like we're not the body of Christ and perfect. Like we need we all have burdens. Like that's the way God designed it. He designed us to carry each other's burdens, which implies we're all going to have burdens, and we need one another to lean on. And if God gave you gifts and you're not using them, you're being a um, a bad steward. Of the things God gave you, it's like the the talents. I don't know if that applies to the talents, but what did you do with it? I buried it. And then the other ones, you used theirs and you know multiplied. You're burying your talent, and right. you're a um, wicked servant, and he's gonna cast you out. Like it's a sin.
0: And it goes to the whole point too of you know like we talked about with our podcast critiquer, like you know iron sharpening iron, right? And if you're not there, you can't help anybody grow. You can't point out where they're wrong or fix flaws or have your own flaws highlighted, you know, Mm -hmm. when we're just stuck in our little echo chamber, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we don't do much good to the world, right? So you got to be involved in it as ugly as it is, um, as difficult as it is, you got to be involved in it because that's what we're called to as Christians. Um, So you can't sit there and think you got a better idea of how church should run than God. Um, He designed the church it was his idea, so mm-hmm. um he knows the best way to run it and we need to be a part of it.
1: And it's not whether or not someone's gonna offend you or not. Like you go and you help whoever you notice needs help.
0: And yeah, there's gonna be, be, be people there so there's, what
1: there's gonna be people who annoy you, there's gonna be people who, who sin who are ignorant of their sin that they offended you, but there's no exceptions. God didn't say be part of the perfect church and reject those people who sin in like, yeah, we're all going to mess up and we're all going to offend each other. That's not a reason to not gather. We're supposed no. to put up with, with each other and pray for one another and humble ourselves and know, yeah, I'm just like them. I'm not better.
0: Yeah. So we just have definitely got to watch out for that in ourselves. And I yeah. know this episode is running long, but I have just two more quick, hopefully quick points that I want to make on this digital church. Then we'll get to our sermon recommendation before we wrap this thing up. Um, So the last point that I want to make on the whole digital church thing is just sort of looking back on the last two years Um, because I, you know, having some of that 2020 vision, right. Looking behind us, having that 2020 vision on how we got here and realizing that that hysteria that we gave into during the last two years that caused these uh, churches to at least ponder and ultimately close their doors. I think we need to reflect back on why we did that mm-hmm. and whether it was right or wrong. Um, cause I mean, there's still even churches that are open now, there's still people that won't go back to churches because of the hysteria that we gave into as churches. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. for whatever reason we allowed the churches to buy into it, um, close their doors for right reasons or wrong reasons, What I'm not trying to get into all that necessarily, I but just
1: admit it was probably damaging to many people. It was
0: damaging to a lot of people. And now we have, you know, mm-hmm. this is not necessarily the worst case. Cause like you mentioned, there are churches whose doors have closed and they don't have an online presence. It's just done, you know, mm-hmm. the church families that are done, but you know, even now there's still people that have believing in that fear and they refuse to go back to church. Um, be involved like maybe they once were and i think if we don't reflect back on what how we got here we're liable to fall back into that trap again Mm -hmm. because you know as we mentioned sort of with this vaccine mandate and how few people actually stood up against it and how they're sort of relying on the small few to take all the Mm -hmm. slings and the arrows and stuff like that to fight for the rest of them you know if we all would have stood up from immediate you know when this happened like hey we're christians we're not called to live by fear we're called to live by faith we're not closing our doors i don't care what happens you know jesus touched the leper right he put his hands on him the whole mm-hmm. world was telling him these guys are outcasts don't touch him and jesus went right up to him where they were like
1: faith that should have
0: been our mindset and
1: put to the test you
0: know so we've got to have some self-reflection on how we got here mm-hmm. um because that's important. And then I think the second point that kind of ties into that um, is I I would caution pastors uh, to not expand your churches beyond what you're able to maintain. You know, I think the last two years should highlight to us just how easily some of this stuff can fall apart. You Mm -hmm. know, if we're building all of our budgets and all of our, you know, stuff, our resources are planned on, you know, what we're currently sitting at in 2018, you know, when things are great. Um, just how quickly that can all fall apart. Um, especially now, I mean, the government, they have the playbook, right? They know how they can go and, you know, get your church to close their doors. I mean, we talked about our church before. The first time they closed was a personal decision, right? They thought it was dangerous. We had an older population. Let's just keep them safe for a couple of weeks. The second time they closed was city leadership, basically mm-hmm. coercion, right? And they gave into it. So these these, uh, authorities, they know now that they have that ability to walk in and sort of strong arm you a little bit and get you to close your doors. So if you're banking on your church and you're expanding and all these sorts of things based on some of your best years, um, we can see now that that can all fall apart pretty quickly. And I found this article here from the AP and this pastor here. He said our maintenance costs are just exorbitant. Um, said this Reverend Robbins. And we just don't have the resources financially that we used to have to be able to do the kind of ministry uh work that we would like. Um, so it says, yeah, I mean, as the pandemic hit and co- collections plates dried up, these churches started closing their doors. So it's
1: just funny that like the church, it's the gathering and you have to stop gathering because you can't financially keep a building open. It's just Like that's not the reason you gather. Like, okay, we lost that building. Let's meet somewhere else. We're gonna break up, divide up. Like, it's just like this wouldn't have happened to the early church. Like they gathered in homes and this is the things that can go wrong. And man, it's just a shame just thinking on like it's not like if your church can crumble because you don't have money, I don't know. Like, what do you do? You can't have that be the thing that's holding it together
0: it shouldn't be but i mean so often it is and i i would put this on the congregants here um because Mm -hmm. you know this church mentioned that their funds dried up uh the potter's house in denver church mentioned that their funds started dwindling and we've already talked on this show before you know it's less than i think it's around five percent of churchgoers that tithe so if you're upset about these churches closing the door Um, it's probably the congregants fault, you know, because they're not paying their tithe on the best of years. And then when hard times come, they're darn sure not paying their tithe anymore. So if -hmm. you're upset that your church closed the doors or even more so than that, if you're upset that your church doesn't stand and fight against some of these, you know, government overreaches and stuff, it's probably in some respects your fault, right? Because they don't have the money. They don't have the resources to stand and fight. You know, there's very few churches that could take the state of California to court like John MacArthur and Grace right. Community. Yeah, they've got a lot of money. Probably they can do some of these things. But your local church where only 5% are paying tithe, the pastors are probably already strapped, and they probably already you know struggle mm-hmm. to keep the buildings open and all these ministries that they're trying to juggle. So you know, if you want your pastor to have a spine and have a backbone to stand up, you know, it's probably your congregants that need to start opening their wallets up a little bit more and letting them know that they're behind them. You have the resources to go and fight and mm-hmm. all these sorts of things. So we can't sit there and be like, ah, oh, these pastors squandered and wasted it. No, nah, mm-hmm. the congregants weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing in the first place. So, yeah. um, that, you know, we've got to all bear that responsibility. I agree. So I know this episode was running long, but this is an important topic to us. So We'd love to hear from you guys, especially on some of the questions that we asked, um, the Hebrew six piece, um, the digital church idea is this going to catch on. Um, uh, we'd like to hear from you guys. And then as we end this here, our sermon recommendation for the week, uh, we got this one from our, uh, Facebook group reached out to us. You know, I was asking them for some good sermon recommendations. They sent me this one from their church down in little old Lufkin, Texas called mm-hmm. Carpenter's Way. and. Uh, the sermon I listened to was the sermon on First Peter chapter One, mm-hmm. and it was a really good sermon. Uh, the pastor was my kind of pastor. He was talking a mile a minute, running off on thirteen different roads, trying to bring it all back and make make it work <laughs> and it was all really good. Um, his mind works like mine does. you know, you go off on little rabbit trails and try to bring it back and uh, it was nice too, because he sort of talked about what we talked about last week, um, in our, when we looked at Canada's C4 bill and that Christian persecution, then he also touches a little bit on this digital church idea of people needing to be back in their churches. So it was a cool way to sort of bring both of those talks together. And, you know, then obviously first Peter is a good book to always be looking into. So Mm -hmm. it's a good sermon. I (laughs) definitely recommend you go give it a listen and, um, Otherwise, do you have any final thoughts before we close this episode out?
1: I just want to remind you guys, um, God is hearing our prayers. Like I said earlier in the show, just continue to pray and praise God for all that. Like we complain a lot about what's going on in the world, but we got to remember to praise God for these for these victories and the the good, you know, things that are turning around. Um, you know the the Roe versus Wade stuff coming through. So keep keep praying about it. God is hearing our prayers. So the enemy's not winning, even though it may look like that because of what the media only wants you to focus on. So
0: yeah, definitely keep praying. We are winning. We're gaining ground. Um, So don't grow weary of that. Yeah. Yeah, Make sure you're constantly praising God for his goodness. Um, There's probably so many avenues that you can praise him for. Uh, Mm -hmm. Make sure that you stick around Monday. We'll have our devotionals coming back again. And then next Saturday, we should be having our um, interview talking about, you know, all things sort of cryptocurrency. And is that important for Christians? Um, Should we be looking into that? How should we be getting into it? All those sorts of things. So, um, but that's all we have for you guys today. We'll see you again on Monday. God bless.